Opening our Bibles to Luke chapter number 23. Luke chapter number 23. Hadn't it been good to be in the Lord's house today? Let's go to the Word of God tonight and gain a little encouragement. Luke chapter number 23. And I'd like to read just four verses tonight, and then we'll go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And I want to preach to you a thought that God laid on my heart. Luke chapter number 23. You know, we've been sort of preaching around the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and preaching on a lot of different events and people. Uh, concerning that, that, uh, few days, uh, that the Lord performed that greatest of miracles here on this earth. And I want to preach to you on a man whose, uh, whose life was touched and changed by Calvary and by Christ and how that manifested itself in his life. Luke chapter 23, verse number 50. The Bible says, and behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we love you, Lord. Thank you for letting us be in the house of God. I pray that you'd give clarity to my thoughts and words tonight. I pray that the power of the Word of God would be present in our midst to move and to work, to speak directly, relevantly to our lives, Lord, and to challenge us and to change us. And may in everything that's said to us tonight we be obedient to the authority of God's Word that you might receive glory. Lord, we love you. and We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Joseph of Arimathea is one of the most fascinating characters in the entirety of the Word of God. We're really not told much about this man. He is often named in the same company as a man by the name of Nicodemus. Both of these men, the Bible calls them counselors or wise individuals. Nicodemus, no question, was a part of the Sanhedrin. Joseph's uh, position is a little less clear. But both of these men are remembered for two things primarily. One, they are remembered as what we might call covert disciples of Christ. These men came and and, and, and they uh, put their faith in Christ. They believed in Him. They knew that He was who He said He was. And, and, and they had their lives transformed and changed by Him. And yet both of these men, for fear of men's opinions, refrained from boldly and publicly declaring their association with Him. And so they're known as covert disciples. They are also known as men whom, after the cross of Calvary, found a measure of boldness in which to step out and proclaim clearly and loudly that, in fact, they were of the company of this Jesus, the Nazarene. It's amazing what the cross of Calvary can do in a man's life. You know, you wonder if they didn't see him dying there on the cross and think, you know, if he could die for me, surely I could live for him. If he could hang there for me, surely I could speak up for him. And so both of these men, after the cross of Calvary, make public declaration of their love and devotion to Him. They do this in different ways. And here in our passage this evening, we have the way that Joseph made bold declaration of his association with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting. I'm sure that Joseph and Nicodemus both were wrapped with guilt. Wouldn't you feel that way? If it wasn't until after he died that you had the nerve to live for, I mean, wouldn't you just, wouldn't you feel terrible? And I can imagine Joseph, after they've crucified the Lord, feeling like, you know, he's gone now. I have no more opportunity. I can't kiss his feet like Mary did. I can't fall at his feet and worship him like so many healed individuals did. I, 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 I can't lean upon his breast like the apostle John did. He's gone. I, I can no longer uh, wrap my arms around him and hug him. I can no longer hear his laugh. I can no longer see the look in his eyes. I can no longer hear the tenderness of his voice. So what can I do to show that I love him? I find in our text his great expression of affection for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in verse 52, This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. He couldn't do for him in death the things that he should have done in life. But he could in death do something for him that would show the Lord 
that he did indeed love him and that he did indeed care about him. Let's say it this way. He might have not uh, been able to openly express his love for the Lord Jesus while the Lord was alive. But in this moment, Joseph is known for loving the body of Jesus Christ. You say, well, preacher, that's interesting, but how could that apply to me? I'm reminded of something that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. And you might say, preacher, what's the significance of the body in our text? What's, why is it significant that he goes and claims the body of Jesus and, and anoints it and wraps it in linen and puts it in, in, in a tomb? Why is the body of Jesus significant? Well, because Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12 says, for as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Now, what does Paul mean by that? Well, he says this, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. He said, well, preacher, what's he talking about? And it's interesting, you know, there's some that would claim that when the Bible talks about the body of Christ, it is always and only limited to the local body of believers. But I would have you notice that Paul says, whether Jew or Gentile, uh, we're all baptized into one body. Uh, now, that doesn't suggest that everybody walking the earth, uh, whether they know Christ or not, is somehow going to go to heaven or somehow knows the Lord or somehow has a kinship one to another. Nor even does it suggest that the idea of this uh, spiritual body of Christ is the preeminent one in New Testament teaching. Did you know there's about 108 occurrences of the word church in the New Testament? And some 96 of them, uh, they are referring to a local body of believers. Say, so, preacher, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us this. There is a body that's not just the local body. But God works through the local body. And Paul reveals this in verse 27 of that chapter. He says, now ye, speaking of the church, are the body of Christ and members in particular. In other words, we could say that the body of Christ is the spiritual union that all believers enjoy in Christ. And the expression or manifestation of that reality is in the local church inasmuch as it carries out the great commission and is formed and formulated upon the pattern of New Testament Christianity. So, preacher, what does all that mean to me? Well, it tells me this. Joseph, he couldn't love Jesus because Jesus had died, but he could love the body and show in loving the body that he loved the Savior. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight, loving the body, loving the body. I believe we ought to love the church. I believe the church is an important thing. I don't just believe that because I'm a member of one. I don't just believe that because I'm a pastor of one. I believe that because the Bible teaches that the church has a place of prominence in the life of every believer. The Bible describes it this way in Ephesians chapter 5. It was funny, I was the other day sitting down with a couple. They're getting ready to get married. I was doing premarital counseling with them. And I, as most pastors do, went to Ephesians chapter 5 amongst other places and began to talk about the model for the home. And uh, it's a wonderful place. Uh, where this teaching is found. But, you know, you come down to the end of that chapter and Paul says, Nevertheless, I declare unto you a mystery concerning the church and Christ. And all that he says about the home and the model home and the relationship, he, it does have application in my interactions with my wife, in your interactions with your spouse. But that's not even the main heartbeat of what Paul's talking about. He's trying to teach us something about how God feels about the church. Because not only is the church the body of Christ, but the church is the bride of Christ. And listen to how important that the church is to God. It says in Ephesians 5:25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, somebody's going to say, wait a minute, preacher. He tasted death for every man. He died for sinners. That's true. But the Bible talks about how that the Lord would, would look upon his suffering and look beyond that suffering to the fruit and that would grow from it. He would, he would see the increase of his portion. What's it talking about? What's well, talking about New Testament church? How did he, for the joy that was set before him, endure the cross, despising the shame? Because he looked beyond it. And, and what thrilled his soul was not the idea of, of sinners rejecting him, but rather it was the idea of sinners receiving him and being birthed into the body of Christ. 
He died for every man. Anybody that wants to get saved can get saved by the grace of God. Hallelujah. But the thing that thrilled him, the thing he was aiming at, the thing that he craved and sought in the cross of Calvary was the body of Christ, the establishment of the New Testament church. The Bible says he loved the church and gave himself for it. Why? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, (laughs) not a carnal church, not an entertaining church, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. You see there the connection of the two concepts. When Christ gave himself for the church, he was loving his bride, but he was also loving his body. And Joseph is able to show and prove and evidence his love for Christ by likewise loving the body of Jesus Christ. If you love Christ, you'll love the church. If you love Christ, you'll love the church. You'll love the people of God. Hey, it won't be an an ancillary thing in your life. It won't be a casual thing in your life. It won't be an occasional thing in your life. If you love Jesus, you're going to love the church. doesn't mean you'll always love the preacher. doesn't mean you'll always love the people. But you'll love the church. You'll love the concept, the importance, the principle, the experience of it if you love Jesus Christ. And how do we look at Joseph's life and draw from that his devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ through His treatment of the body. I want you to notice four thoughts, and then I'll be done tonight. Look with me at verse number 50. The Bible says this, And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. Can I say this? Before the body of Jesus is ever mentioned in this passage of Scripture, the dedication of Joseph is first highlighted. There's an important truth in that for us. Let me say the first way that he showed his love for the Lord Jesus by loving the body is in his character away from the body. What do you mean, preacher? I mean, he didn't just straighten up when he got within sight of the body. He was walking straight before he ever got to the body. Can I tell you this? You want to know what people really think about the Lord and about his church? Look at the way they live when they ain't even there. That's how you'll find out how they really feel about the house of God. And you say, well, preacher, you don't know and other people don't know. And I'm going to be honest with you. You're right. And most of the time, I'd rather not know. Somebody say amen. amen. But let me tell you something. You ain't going to stand at the judgment seat of Toby one day. Right. But you are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ one day. And he sees all things. His eyes are upon the righteous and upon the wicked, beholding every single thing that we do. One of these days, we're going to have to give an account for the things done in the body, whether good or whether bad. He's watching you, not just on Sunday morning when you walk through those doors. He's watching you every moment. He's watching you when you ain't watching you. And he's seeing the way that you're living. Now, how did Joseph live that showed his love for Christ and his body? Well, notice three things about him. I see number one is wisdom. The Bible said a counselor. In other words, Joseph was a man who you could go to and you could ask counsel and he could give it to you. Now, the Bible tells us that wisdom, uh, that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. He could not have had wisdom if he didn't fear the Lord. And he could not have been a counselor if he hadn't been familiar with the authoritative truth of the Word of God. His relationship to the Word of God enabled him to be a blessing to the Lord Jesus. And later on in this very moment to Christ's body. Can I tell you something? The church don't need idiots. It don't. I, listen, I, I'm just telling you, hey, it don't, it, it don't help the church when we get out and act a fool. We get out walking through this world, we ought to walk with some wisdom. I will not get out and act like a moron and act like an idiot and get out and, and, and tear up and disrupt and tear down and cause chaos and cause bedlam and then say, oh, by the way, you go to church anywhere, I go to Walridge Baptist Church. Part of the reason I, mm, Part of the reason I won't get those bumper stickers. I've seen how some of y'all drive. I don't want that associated with this church. And I'm just telling you, hey, listen, we, you walking around with a, with a shirt on Walridge Baptist Church, you walking around with a hat on Walridge Baptist Church, you walking around and you got that big tattoo on your forearm, Walridge Baptist Church. I don't know if you do or not, amen. Maybe you do, but <laughs> we better be careful how we walk because the world is judging our church. 
And more than that, it's judging our Christ based on how we live. Hey, listen, we ought to have wisdom in the way that we interact in the world around us and how we treat one another. I, I see his wisdom, and, and not only his wisdom, the Bible says this, he was not only a counselor, I like this phrase, he was a good man. You know why I like that? Because the world has neutered that phrase. The world calls everybody that ain't Adolf Hitler a good man. I mean, it don't matter what they've done or, or, or who they've destroyed, you know, uh, it'll call everybody a good man. But when the Bible calls someone a good man, it means, man, there's a good man. Now, how do we define that? Well, one day a man came to Lord Jesus and said, good master, and he stopped the man. He said, why callest thou me good? There's none good but God. The Bible says of Joseph, the Holy Ghost says of Joseph that he was a good man. How can the Bible say that? He was a good man because he was a godly man. He was a good man because God was directing and influencing his life. There was nothing good about Joseph. It was God in Joseph that made him a good man. Let me say it this way. I see not only his wisdom, I see his walk. In other words, the way he, the way he behaved himself. He didn't just go around and, and have sort of sage, earthly, temporal, lowly, and, 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 and earthly wisdom, but he was a man who lived righteously in this present world. He was a man who people could look at and they could find no stain of reproach. They could find uh, no stain of sin in his life. If they were going to criticize the Lord Jesus, they'd have to find somebody else to use other than Joseph. Because when you looked at his life, he gave you no occasion to be able to criticize the Lord Jesus. I think he had a right walk. And I tell you this, if we love Christ and if we love his church, it'll make us walk right. It'll make us behave right. It'll make us live right. We have hanging out in our foyer a church covenant. And, and uh, church had a church covenant before I ever showed up, but I ain't got a problem with it. If I did, we'd tear it off the wall, I guess. But, I, but I, and, and I always tell people, when they go to join our church, I always say that, they'll ask me, I say, well, now, what do I need to do? And, I, I, you know, I'll go through and I'll tell them, you know, there, there's, a, there's, you know, a, a $3,500 entrance fee that comes to me. And then after that, there's a monthly fee and, you know, things like that. And, <laughs> I mean, hey, listen. Yeah, well, you know, inflation and all, and, and, but I mean, you know, it's taken me 40% longer to develop these sermons than it did five years ago. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I, I'll tell them, I'll say, now you need to read, and I'm careful in my wording, you need to accept and be willing to abide by the church covenant and by our statement of faith. I'm careful how I say that because I know not everybody's going to agree with everything that our statement of faith says. I mean, some churches, you can agree with their statement of faith because it's about four sentences. <laughs> we believe there's God. Come to church with us. That's it, you know. I mean, there's some some churches, their statement of faith, a, a, a Mohammedan could join their church and wouldn't have no issue with it. We have a 21-point statement of faith. And really, to be honest, I might add six or seven points to it later tonight. I don't know. And And so, I mean, I understand not everybody's going to agree with every single perspective, but you have to accept it. You have to recognize that's the position of the church. And you have to be willing to abide by it, meaning not undermine it. Well, it's the same thing with the covenant. I, you know, it's not that the church covenant is scripture, but everything in it is scriptural, right? Going to refrain from 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 uh, recreational drugs and from in, intoxicating uh, beverages and from pornography. Uh, we're, we're going to comport ourselves in a, in a holy manner. We're going to walk justly. We're going to participate in tithing and in giving. If we ever are called of God to leave this place, we'll go to a church of like faith and so on and so forth. And, and, and what we're doing is we're saying, if you're going to be a part of this, this matters. It's important. And you ought to walk right in light of it. You ought to do that because you love the Lord. But now don't get me, my soul, don't give me this. Well, I don't do it because I love the church. I do it because I love the Lord. If you love the Lord, it'll make you love the church. That's a distinction without a difference as far as I'm concerned. You're the one drawing that line. You're the one splitting that hair. But Joseph, when he wanted to show the Lord he loved him, he loved the body to show that he loved the Lord. I see his walk, but then I like this. The Bible says he was a counselor, he was a good man, and a just now, what does that have to do with? Well, uh, him being a good man had to do with a heavenward attitude and a heavenward activity. But being a just man had to do with a manward attitude and a manward activity. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, when somebody's just, they're righteous in their dealings with another person. We live in a society today where justice is 
pretty much all but gone. Depends on your tax bracket. I saw a thing the other day that said, uh, punishable by fine should really read legal at a price. Amen? Isn't that true? Hold on, that'll come to you by slow mail. You'll get that in about three minutes. Punishable by fine really means legal at a price. And we live in a society much like what the Bible said would uh, exist in ancient Israel, that the law is slack, and therefore judgment never goeth forth. We live in an unjust society because there's no regard for the authority of God's Word. And what we want when we want justice is we want man to treat man appropriately and correctly and righteously. Well, here's what Joseph did. He treated men righteously. He was appropriate and righteous in the way he interacted with one another. I'll tell you this, one of the great acid tests to how we feel about Christ and His church is how we treat other people knowing that our actions bear upon the testimony of our church. There's been, and I've had, man, there's been time. I'm going to be honest with you, all right? You ready for a little honesty time? Let's have a little fireside chat. There's been times that hat has been the only thing that kept my flesh from winning. There's been times that shirt has been the only thing that has kept my flesh from winning. Son, I've went to just rear back with both barrels and then the Holy Ghost stop and tap on my chest and say, look what you're wearing, son. Look what you're wearing. And I'm telling you this, we better be careful how we treat people because they're formulating an opinion about our Christ and our Christianity and about our church based on how we treat one another. So you say, preacher, well, how can you tell that he loved the body? Well, number one, by his character away from the body. But then look at verse 51. I like this, man. The Bible says, the same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. Now, who are the them? Well, it's the chief priests. It's the, it's the Sanhedrin that had condemned the Lord Jesus to death. In other words, we could say this, probably for him, his watershed breakthrough moment was on that evening when they had took the Lord Jesus, hauled him into Caiaphas's house, and began that mock kangaroo trial. At some point within that, when the high priest rent his clothes and said, what need have we to hear any further? This man has done things worthy of death. At some point, and the Bible doesn't record the words, the Bible doesn't set the scene for us, but somehow, in some way, Joseph stood up and said, no, sir. I'll not have any part in this. Turned around and walked away, and probably it was the best thing he ever did. Probably when he walked away from that scene, he walked straight into the arms of the Lord and the boldness and comfort of God's presence. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, I would say this, not only through his character away from the body, but through his commitment to the body. He shows us that he loved the Lord and loved his body. Notice, number one, his fierce defense of the body. I want to be abundantly clear with what I'm about to say. I don't, believe, I don't condone lying, and I don't believe God is ever honored by it. But I believe the position of every single member of any New Testament church, not just Walridge, but any New Testament church, should be this. You're going to tear down my church? You're going to do it without me. I'm not going to have a part in that. You're going to try to slander and hurt my church? You're going to have to do that without me, because I'm not going to have a part in that. Hey, listen, at the risk, and I would not say this if I didn't believe I was on good scriptural ground. Hey, listen, you're going to try to, you're going to try to slander the pastor? You're going to do that without me. You're going to try to slander the deacons? You're going to do that without me. You're going to slander the members? You're going to do that without me. I will not consent unto the harming of the body of the Lord Jesus. I think it just shows, hey, and listen, there's, you say, well, preacher, it's tough sometimes. Yeah, the world's mean. It'll put you in that position. But you need to settle in your heart good and well. Hey, would you rather be a Joseph or a Peter on that night? Sitting by the fires cursing his name. Who regretted their words more? I don't see Joseph going out and weeping bitterly. You say, well, preacher, he might have lost friends. Yeah, probably. Well, preacher, he might have weakened his position. I'd reckon he probably did. But he pillowed his head that night in peace, knowing he had not disgraced his Savior. I'm just telling you, man, you, you love the Lord, you'll love His body. And one of the ways you'll love it is through a fierce defense of it. We ought not cover up sin. It don't matter who commits that sin. It don't matter what the nature of that sin is. And 
Certainly, I'm not in any way endorsing or promoting the notion of the covering up or concealing of sin for the maintaining of some false testimony of a New Testament church. And I'll tell you this right now. If we got to cover up sin to keep a church's testimony right, the church don't have a testimony in the first place. A testimony is not, hey, listen, a testimony is not a veneer. A testimony is a telling of truth. When you as a witness get up and give your testimony on a, on a witness stand, you have pledged to tell the truth. We're not talking about lying to cover up sin or misconduct. But I'm saying this, hey, the things that they said about Jesus were not true. They were slanders. They were wrong. They were false. And Joseph said, I'll not have any part of this. I see it in his commitment to the body by his fierce defense of the body. But then notice what it says at the end of, uh, of verse 51. It says, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. And that's interesting language. And We could spend a lot of time discussing what the kingdom of God is. But in Joseph's mind and in Joseph's heart, undoubtedly, what he meant is for God's plan to be fulfilled and for God to be exalted and for God to establish a kingdom where he is king. In other words, he spent every day of his life waiting for God to bring about his purposes in society. He was not an inactive person. He was not an apathetic person. You can tell he loved Jesus because every day he got up excited for what God might do that very day. Let me say it this way. Hey, I see his fierce defense of the body, but I see his faithful devotion to the body. One of the interesting things in New Testament doctrine, along about Matthew chapter number 12, Lord Jesus, he's been preaching the kingdom of heaven uh, in the land of Israel. In about chapter number 12, the book of Matthew, the, uh, the Pharisees, they begin to blaspheme the Holy Ghost. Uh, they reject wholesale his teaching and his proclamation. And in that passage, the Lord Jesus essentially pronounces anathema on them. He says there's no hope for you. If you're going to attribute the witness of God to the works of the devils, no one can help you. And he turns his attention away from preaching to the nation and begins to disclose the mysteries and the parables of the kingdom of heaven. And the substance really of those parables and mysteries is essentially this. God has not abandoned his kingdom. But because Israel has rejected her king, the nature of this kingdom is going to change in dynamics until the day that God brings it about earthly and fully in this world. And so it's all about truth and precious things being hidden away. It's it's all about there being sort of this superficial admixture from the enemy of, of tares in with the wheat. And, and Christ, He's readying His faithful followers for the fact that the kingdom, it, for a while, it ain't going to look like they think it's going to look. But that don't mean it's done. It's just postponed. One day, it's going to look exactly like He said and like they expected it would look. But for the time being, it was going to look different. By the way, this is why the disciples, there even the day that he ascended to heaven, said, Lord, will thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, here's what Joseph was doing. He was sitting around, and he couldn't wait to see how God was going to work. He never lost faith that God had a plan. And he spent every day of his life just waiting to see God's plan realized and fulfilled. I'll tell you this, if we really love the body, And if we really love the Lord, we'll be people of faith. Uh, We won't be like them old backlogs that it takes a hundred pounds of kindling to try to get a flame licked on it. Instead, man, we'll just be sitting on go, ready, waiting, excited to see God do something in our midst and in our lives. Not defeatist, not fatalist, not, well, I don't know, I guess nothing going on. No, man, coming into the house of God, excited to see what God's going to do on that day. Man, I tell you, I can see he loved the Lord. He loved the body through his commitment to the body. But then look at verse 52. The Bible says this, This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. I can tell he loved the Lord because of his craving of the body. He was not apathetic to its treatment. He was not indifferent to its location. He said, wherever the body is, that's where I want to be. If it's somewhere it ought not to be, I want to get it and see it placed in an appropriate place. And I want to make sure, if nothing else gets took care of, that the body gets taken care of. I see it, man. I see he, he loved the body. He craved. The way, the, the way your Bible says it, he begged the body. He didn't just come in and fill out a form. He didn't just come in and pull a number. 
He marched in with every vestige of authority that he still retained into Pilate's office, held his head high and said, I am Joseph, one of the rulers of Israel, and I have come to ask for the body of Jesus Christ. He said it with enough authority that Pilate gave it to him. That tells me this, it wasn't no, well, Pilate, if you get a chance, if it's not inconvenient, if you get time, I'd sure... I'd love to visit the body if it works out. Wouldn't it be nice, Pilate, if I could just have a little bit of time with the body of Jesus? Can I tell you one of the things our churches are suffering under is we have a real take-it-or-leave-it attitude about the house of God. uh, You going to go to church? Well, I guess if we don't go to Dollywood. Well, you know, I guess if we don't go to the lake. You know, I don't know. I guess if we don't go to the air show, we might, you know. I tell you, one of the things I bless the Lord for and thank God for is I grew up in a home we never asked if we was going to church. We never talked about it. My parents would do good. They had a good Baptist ritual of coming home on Sunday afternoons and taking a nap. Some of you people don't nap on Sunday. I'm worried about you. I do. I pray for the Lord to give you deliverance from that. And uh, they'd come home on Sunday afternoons and, and, and Dad eat them a bologna sandwich and a pack of crackers and they'd pile up in bed and they'd sleep. And uh, they, they never used alarm clocks, but somehow the Holy Ghost was their alarm clock. Always woke them up in time to go to church. And it was amazing. You've heard me say this, but me and my brother, uh, we'd be in the house and, 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 and it'd, be, it'd be bedlam. I mean, it, it'd be fussing and arguing and carrying on. I want to do this, you know, all the way up till about 4 o'clock. And 4 o'clock, we'd get religion and we'd get real quiet. I mean, it'd get real peaceful in that house. Why did that happen? Well, what we were hoping is we were hoping that they'd oversleep. You know why? Because we knew this. If they wake up, we're going to church. Not even worth asking about it. We know we're going to church if they wake up. I could count on one hand the times that they hit the Holy Ghost snooze and slept in. (laughs) And so we went to church every single time. That we, that the doors were open. You say, preacher, what are you getting at? I'm saying this. Part of what's killing us is we don't beg the body of Jesus. We slightly suggest and pencil it into, to our lives. We, if it works out, maybe it'll be good. It'll be all right. But I'll tell you this, that sort of casual Christianity ain't going to get the job done. It's going to take more than that. I noticed two things here. I noticed number one, his boldness for the body. This man went unto Pilate. You understand Joseph is a wealthy and prominent and powerful individual. But he is also a man of reputation. So much so that uh, the Bible tells us, uses this phrase, Joseph, of Arimathea. Now, I don't know how big Arimathea was. I mean, I don't know if it was like Carnes or what. But I'm guessing there's more than one Joseph there. But when you said Joseph of Arimathea, you weren't talking about Joey. You weren't talking about Joe. You weren't talking about Jolene. You was talking about this fella right here. He had reputation. I mean, he... People knew who he was. And guess what he was doing when he came into Pilate? He was risking that reputation. He was saying, yep, I'm one of them. <laughs> Let me just say, hey, I'm one of them. Those, those fanatics that actually believe the Bible, I'm one of them. You know, those people that take God at his word, I'm one of them. And Joseph walked into, the, into the, the throne room, into the palace and said, Pilate, I don't know if you know this, but I'm one of them and I'm here for the body of Jesus. I'll tell you this, we won't be quiet anymore. How can we in the shadow of the cross? How can we in light of all he's done for us? What he did was risky. What he did was dangerous. But he was willing. And he knew, not just he was not just willing. He knew there could be no other way. If he was going to be who he thought he was when he looked in the mirror, then he had to do this. He understood what was at stake. I see his boldness for the body. And then I see his begging for the body. His request, his desire. And I'll just tell you this, if we love the Lord, I understand, man, there ain't a single one of us. There's not a person in this room that didn't have to quiet their flesh when they got in the car this morning and tonight. There's not a person in this room that didn't have to tell their flesh no when they got up and got ready to go to church. And I listen, I'll be honest enough with you to tell you, hey, there's days this preacher might wake up and think, boy, I wish somebody else could go in and do it. But, you know, that ain't me. It is me, but that's my flesh talking. And I'll tell you this, the flesh ain't never going to be happy about going to church. Never once will the flesh... But by the way, can I say this? 
hey, the new man's never going to dread it. That's why there's that conflict within you. It's really fundamentally a question of who you're going to listen to and who you're going to lean on when the time to make a decision comes. And I'll tell you this, the new man, he don't go to church begrudgingly. The flesh does. And we're all guilty of it. But the new man, he wants to be in the house of God. Say, so preacher, even with the hypocrites, yep, you and me included. Preacher, even, even, even when somebody does something wrong, yep, even then. Preacher, even when things get on their nerves, yep, even then. Preacher, even when folks hurt their feelings, yep, even then. Preacher, even when the singing ain't on, yep, even then. Preacher, even when the preaching ain't on, yep, even then. Preacher, even when somebody sits in their seat, yep, even then. The new man wants to be in the house of God. And that part of you that don't want to, that's the flesh. And you're going to have to make a choice. Well, let me hasten on. I see his craving of the body. And then finally, I want you to notice this and we'll be done. Look at verse 53 with me. Man, it's a precious verse. The Bible says he took it down wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone wherein never man before was laid. Preacher, how can you tell he loved the Lord because he loved the body? And how can you tell that he loved the body? Well, because of his character away from the body, his commitment to the body, his craving of the body, but then finally because his care of the body. He took care of it. He didn't, he didn't want to see it neglected. It wasn't his job, but it was his desire. You listen to me? wasn't his job, but it was his desire. Peter should have been doing this. John should have been doing this. James should have been doing this. But none of them did do it. So Joseph said, so I'll do it. Why? Because he wanted to see the body took care of. I noticed two things about the way he took care of it. Notice... Number one, the Bible says he took it down and wrapped it in linen. You understand the scene. You're grown up. You understand when they crucified the Lord Jesus, they stripped him naked. They beat him. They whipped him and scourged him. He was so disfigured, he didn't even look like a human being anymore. The, the, and that's not just my guess, right? And, that, and, that's, and that's not the, the gospel of gruesomeness by Mel Gibson either. That's Isaiah chapter number 52. His visage was marred. Uh, you say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, visage being marred, his visage is the image of him. It was marred more than any man. What does that mean? He didn't even look like a human being anymore. It probably just looked like some mangled piece of meat hanging there. Why did they strip him naked? To humiliate him. They did this with all the criminals that they crucified. They had stripped them naked as a sign of shame and of reproach. You believe anything you want about what I'm about to say, but I believe Joseph somehow in some way at some moment walked by that cross and looked up and he saw him there. He saw him beaten. He saw him bloodied. He saw him dead. And he saw him stripped naked and said to himself, he he shouldn't hang there like that. He shouldn't hang there like that. Not him. Not him. He's not what they said he was. And he shouldn't hang there like that. And I think that was enough to drive him into the presence of Pilate and say, I've come to ask for his body. He goes, and what does he do? He doesn't put bandages on it when it done any good. He takes it down and he wraps it in linen. Here's what I think he wanted. I think he wanted no shame to come to that body. He didn't want men to stand back and look at it as a spectacle. He didn't want men to walk by and sneer as they'd done all day. He didn't want men to cast things in the teeth of the dead body of the Lord Jesus. He wanted him to be treated right. And he didn't want there to be any shame about his body. Can I tell you something? When we love the church the way that we ought to, we'll want no shame to come to this body. Notice two things he did. One, I see how he removed it. He hung there as a sign of shame and as a reproach. And he said, it's not right that he hang there. I'm going to take him down. I'm going to tell you something, the honest truth. Uh, you know, there's going to be times. Mm, there's there's going to be times in our life. We're human beings. You understand that, right? We make mistakes. Everybody from the back of this building up to the man behind the pulpit, we make mistakes. 
There's going to be times people hurt you. There's going to be times that people hurt your feelings and upset you. There's going to be times people mistreat you. And if you figure out a way to go to church with people that don't never hurt anyone, let me know. We'll join that place together. But the truth is, anywhere you go, that's going to be the case. But when that happens, we have a choice. We can either take that shame and nail it up high on a cross and put it on display for the world to see, or we can take it down and say, I don't want the world to look and think that that's what the body looks like. By the way, that's true of your life as well, how you live. One of the things that bothers me deeply about people today is the boldness to flaunt sin. There are some things you should be ashamed of. There are some things that should embarrass you. One of the marks of the end times, the Bible says, is men would lose the capacity to blush. And buddy, we're living in them days. The more you love the church and the more you love the Lord, the less you'll want to bring shame to Him. And when there is something that is disgraceful on display, you won't magnify it. You'll look for a way to take it down and to make it less prominent. I see how he removed it, but then I see how he robed it. The Bible says he took it and he wrapped it in linen. Uh, linen, of course, in the New Testament is a picture of the righteousness of Christ. The Bible talks about in the book of Revelation, groups of people, throngs about the throne who are robed in white linen. And the Bible says that the white linen is the righteousness of the saints. Well, they didn't get that righteousness from them because Paul said, not having my own righteousness, but the righteousness which is of God by faith, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So linen in Scripture is a picture of righteousness, and more particularly the righteousness of Christ. Joseph walked by and he saw that body hanging there. He said, it's not right that they leave him there. It's not right that they hang him there. They've already killed him. The punishment is done. Let's take him off the cross and then let's wrap him in linen so that there might be no shame in his appearance. I'll tell you this, one of the reasons you really love the body, one of the ways you can show it is through your own walk, you can robe it in righteousness. Through your own life, you can robe it in righteousness. You really love the body and you really love the Lord, you'll want people to look at your life and see the righteousness of God in the way that you live and behave. He wanted no shame to come to it. And then I notice a second thing. The Bible says this. He laid it in a sepulcher that was hewed in stone, wherein never man before was laid. Now, it's interesting because we sort of have this impression when we read the Bible that everyone was buried in sepulchers. And that was not true. Burying in the ground has been a common practice really almost since the dawn of time. But it was also somewhat common for men to be buried in a sepulcher as well. You say, preacher, why? What, what's the difference? What's the distinction? Why were some buried in the ground and some buried in sepulchers? Just like today, money. You go down to the funeral home and you drive through the cemetery and you see some of them vaults. You learned one thing about this person. You didn't learn if they was good. You didn't learn if they was moral. You didn't learn if they was God-fearing. You didn't even learn if they was loved. You know what you learned? They was rich. Because they was able to afford the vault. Amen? You all right this morning? Some of y'all got vaults and I just made you nervous or something? Y'all... Don't weird up on me. That's that's my new term when I'm preaching and y'all do that. I'm going to say, don't weird up on me, all right? Don't weird up on me. And uh, in the same sense, the Bible tells us that Joseph was a wealthy man. And here's what he did. He could have took the body of Jesus and went and dug a hole and thrown it in there. But he didn't. You know why he didn't do that? Because some robber could have come by and stolen it away. Some scavenger could have come by and dug it up. And he said to himself, the body of Jesus is worth more than that. So he took it and laid it in his own tomb where no man had ever laid and had him roll that stone in front of it. That stone was heavy enough that uh, it would have took several men to move that stone away. You know, or God. <laughs> but it would have took several men to move that stone away. Here's what he wanted. He wanted no shame to come to the body. But number two, he wanted no harm to come to it. He wanted to make sure that it laid unaccosted and undisturbed in the tomb. How? Little did he know <laughs> that that body didn't need no help from him to be protected. Because here's the, mm, my soul. Here's the funny thing about it. At the end of the day, God has a way of protecting his body. He does. 
And I'll tell you this, hey, listen, we better, we better be careful. We better be careful. I'd a lot sooner stick my head in a line than criticize God's church. I'd a lot sooner stick my hand out and grab a rattlesnake than criticize God's church. It'd, it'd be safer to jump in the pit of a furnace than it would be to criticize God's church. But I see for Joseph, nonetheless, he wanted to do everything he could to make sure that no harm came to it. Notice two things he did. One, he laid it in a place of safety. He said, I want to make sure nothing's going to hurt it. I want to make sure nothing's going to rob it. I want to make sure nothing's going to steal it away. I want to make sure that it's somewhere that when I want to come back and see it, it'll be there and it'll be safe and it'll be secure. I'll tell you something. We have a wonderful church. And, I, and I'm not just preaching on Wall Ridge. Not. I'm preaching on church more as a concept and as an ideal. It just happens we all go to church together. All right? But what we've got here is special. Ask some of these people that just that, that that the ink is still wet on their membership. They'll tell you, this ain't everywhere. And, and I'm not telling you that there ain't churches that, that are better than our church. There probably are. There's definitely preachers better than your preacher. And there's places with singers better than our singers. And there's places where God is moving. I'm not saying the sun rises and sets on what God's doing in this place. But I'll tell you that God does meet with us. And it's a special place. And you can go all over this city and most of the churches you'd walk in, you wouldn't find God there. But you'll find Him on Wall Ridge Road. That's a precious thing. And you know what we ought to do? We ought to make sure it's a precious thing that no harm comes to. We ought to do everything we can to secure it and to protect it. You say, preacher, how do we do that? Well, we do it with the right attitude. We do it with right actions. We do it with the right anticipation. We do it in all the ways that Joseph has shown us in this passage and elsewhere we are taught in the Word of God. And I probably don't even have to catalog all of those. I just want you to understand, if you love it, you're going to want it to be safe. If you love it and care about it, you're going to want it to be protected. He laid it in a place of safety. But then the Bible says this, it was a place wherein never man before was laid. That's interesting. I, I don't know, but I would imagine there's probably not a, wear, a lot of wear and tear on tombs. I hate to tell you something that... The mortician, the, the, the funeral home owner, he ain't going to tell you this, all right? But you don't need the industrial oversized hinge for your loved one. That lid's only going to open and close once. I'll just be honest with you. They probably don't care if you got the rose gold trim on it, all right? And I would imagine that, you know, I don't know. You know, I, maybe gently used caskets is not a bad business proposition, Brother Ken. We, let's talk about that after the service, amen. We probably need some masks and flashlights and things, but there's probably a market in that. Well, how did we get here? Now I've done weirded up on you. When did that happen? I would imagine wear and tear on a casket is not a big problem. I would imagine wear and tear on a sepulcher is not a big problem. So why was it a big issue that he be laid in a place where never a man had been laid? It was Joseph's way. And by the way, that was Joseph's tomb. He was saying, I'll give him my place. He took my place, so I'll give him my place. He took my place when he died, so I'll give him my place now that he's dead. But, I, you know, I think it was his way of saying, no man is worthy to have occupied that sepulcher before him, with him, or after him. He was saying this, there's none like him. He's one of a kind. And so here's what he was doing. He was laying him in a place of dignity. He was laying him in a, in a special place. Can I tell you something? Hey, listen, church, church ain't the ball field. It's better than the ball field. Church ain't the Dollywood. It's, it's better than the Dollywood. Church ain't the mountains. It's better than the mountains. It ain't the lake. It's better than the lake. Church ain't the golf course. Heaven help us. It's better than the golf course. I, I'm just telling you, hey, listen, it's a, we ought to give it a place of dignity in our lives. We shouldn't treat it. And, and you know this. You know this about me. I, I've never met anyone at the door and said, turn around, you don't meet dress code or whatever. Never have I done that. But I do think there is an important principle of saying, I want to give my very best to the Lord. I don't want to just give him any old thing. I want to give him my best. Why? Because he's worthy of it. He's worthy of the best in our apparel. He's worthy of the best in our attitudes. He's worthy of the best in our activity. I, far too long we've done give God the table scraps and wondered why He won't bless it. 
We've given them that which is lame and that which is blind. And then asked, how have we said that the table of the Lord is contemptible? And and listen, we give God our leftovers. We ought not be surprised when He don't bless it. Instead, hey, I love it. He didn't give him. He didn't have just a grave plot laying somewhere he wasn't using after all. He gave him his. He gave him the best. He gave him the best he could possibly give him. And I'll tell you, if we really, we love the church, we're going to give our best for it. Now listen, if I, if I wanted to make people mad, I would have preached this on a Sunday morning. I'm serious. If I wanted to make people happy, I guess I would have preached on a Wednesday night. Somebody turned the air conditioner on just then? It got cold in here. I know where I'm preaching. I know when I'm preaching. And I know this. I know that you love the Lord. I don't have any question about that. But I ask you this question. Are we loving Him by loving His body? Are we showing Him that we love Him? I don't know if you know about this, but He's got strong opinions about the church. He loved it. And He gave Himself for it. And I think that if we're going to love Him the way that He... You know one of the things that that I experienced, and I think most parents would acknowledge this, my love for my parents grew deeper when I had children. You know why that is? Because I saw my parents love my kids. And when they loved what I loved, it made me love them more. It made me love them more. You'll never know how much what you did for my wife the other day meant to me. You know why? Because I love her. And when you love her, it means a lot to me. It makes me love you more when you love her because I love her. Same thing can be said about people being showing love towards our family, our kids, whatever it might be. You really want to show the Lord you love Him. Love what He loves. He loved the church and He gave Himself for it. I think we'll do everything we can to show the love of God towards His body. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. I know, I know what kind of message this was, and I don't know what God may have said to your heart tonight in the preaching. There could be a hundred things that He said. Here's what let's do. Let's just say this. If we have business to do with God, whether it has anything to do with the preaching or not, why don't we feel comfortable about coming to this altar and meeting the Lord? and letting him have his will and way in our lives. Father, bless this invitation. Lord, may it magnify the Lord Jesus. May it uplift and glorify him, and may it please you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.